Pray with me. Father, thank you so very much already for what we've experienced through wonderful worship. We thank you for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you especially for next week as we look forward to what we celebrate, a Good Friday, and then, of course, the resurrection. I want to pray, Father, and thank you for the folks that have come out today. And Holy Spirit, we know that nothing happens without you. And I am asking, Holy Spirit, that you will feel free to work in our congregation. May the environment and the atmosphere of this building be such so that you could work free. I pray that you'll put peace within hearts, calm hearts if that's what's needed, correct hearts if that's what's needed, open hearts if that's what's needed. Because, Father, your word does not want to come back void. You want it for to come and bring a fruit and bring a harvest. And I really believe that's true today. So I pray, Father, that you'll do that. And again, we give this as a sacrifice, an offering to you. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Well, good morning. We are very glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. As I pulled up today, and the parking lot wasn't quite as full as it usually is, and I said, hmm, and I said, spring break. And so some of our folks are probably in Florida by now and enjoying the beach, and we're jealous, okay? But we are glad that you are here today. Thank you so much for coming, and don't miss tonight. It is going to be a blessing. Just clear your calendar, whatever you got on the calendar. Be here at 6 o'clock under the steeple. It's going to be a wonderful celebration of music and the Lord's Supper. Libby is going to be doing a wonderful black light chalk drawing. It's just going to be a great time to be in the house of the Lord. So block that time off. Again, 6 o'clock tonight under the steeple. It will be a blessing to you. Well, you know by now. And have you noticed, by the way, the videos? I don't know how you know those happen or whatever. But, but we, we find the pictures, and the pictures follow the series. And if you've noticed, in case you have noticed, that like we talked, saw like last week, there's pictures in there about forgiveness. And that was last week's topic. And today, how can I forgive myself? What do you do when you're like fall flat on your face when you're, you just fail miserably. Well, that's why that's in there. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Uh, we're in a series looking at Peter's life and finding him, finding me, finding Christ, we find ourselves, but also in Peter's life. We, we find ourselves in Peter. And I think you're going to see that really ring true um, today. So, critical mass. You know, what is that? Well, you know, there's this trendy thing now. So pastors used to have these really long, elaborate sermon titles. Well, well, first off, some guys just gave up on it. They don't title the sermons at all. And, and, and of course, most of us have given up points a long time ago. That's why most sermons are pointless. All right. So anyway, but anyway, so now the trend is if you use titles to keep them kind of short and succinct, all those things. And so you may be wondering, so so critical mass, I don't even know what critical mass is. Well, I I have some definitions for you because I want you to get on the right path, right thought plane, critical mass. Okay, first off, critical mass. Critical mass is when you go to the doctor's office and you get on the scale and the nurse gasps. That's critical mass. Definition number two. Critical mass is a service that occurs in the Catholic Church when the priest is overly harsh. Critical mass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Critical mass. <laughs> a group of Baptists after a long sermon. <laughs> Critical mass. <laughs> All right. Now, now the real definition. Critical mass is this. Critical mass is, is a, the minimum amount of, and it can, be, it can be material, it can be people, it can be circumstances 
that is necessary to sustain a chain reaction. Let me say that again. Because it really, you know, it's funny. I kind of think that title thing was kind of cute. And then God just like built the whole sermon around it. It's really cool. It's really cool. So the minimum amount of material circumstances or people that is necessary to sustain a chain reaction. Now, kind of let me break that down. See, it can be negative or positive. So if you're in the retail business today, okay, if you're in a retail business, and let's say you know that um, you need 100, if you have 100 customers coming to your store today, that 40% of them are going to buy something. So your critical mass of customers is 40, is 40, because that's the number of people who are going to buy. You have 100 people come in, you know that 40%, actually probably 100 be your critical mass because 40% are going to buy. Um, if you have your quiet time, let's say you're a Christian and you take your Christianity very serious, your critical mass for discipleship might be, I know I need to read this much of the Word of God, I need to spend this much time in prayer, I need to do this much service for people. Okay, that would be your critical mass, the minimum amount. Um, if you're married, maybe you and your wife have had a discussion, and you're one of those busy guys or busy girls, you know, and you're trying to decide, you know, we need more time, and so you sit down and have this heart-to-heart, knee-to-knee discussion, and you kind of go like this, you know, okay, honey, in order for our our marriage to be better and richer, we need, and you pick a number, let's say an hour, we need an hour a week, and that is our time. That's the minimum amount of time to sustain our marriage at a healthy level. So you see, it's the minimum amount of of things or people or circumstances that that will sustain a chain reaction, that will sustain a business, that will sustain a marriage. Now, here's the deal. That's the positive side, but you understand that's also true on the negative side. It's the minimum amount of material circumstances or people to sustain a negative chain reaction. You know, I I wrote down and said, big consequences come from small beginnings. You know, we have a a critical mass situation where something occurs that sets off a chain reaction, and with that little bit of stuff, that negative stuff, it sustains a negative chain reaction in our lives. You know, have you figured out, I don't, now, like, I know nothing about atomic bombs, okay? But here's a little bit I think I know. The whole deal is when you get a the certain right material together and you can make um, protons and neutrons collide with each other, you have nuclear fission. And when that occurs, they need a certain amount of that material happening and maintains the chain reaction and you have a nuclear explosion. You know, I'm, I was kind of gathering materials for my family series coming up starting Mother's Day. It's called Home Guard, by the way. And we're going to look at things we can do to guard our families. And one of the things I found is this, this statement. It's one of the slides that's probably going to be in the movie for, um, for our family series. And here's what it says. Here's what the slide says. You know, affairs don't begin in bedrooms. They begin in conversations. Isn't that good? Affairs don't begin in bedrooms. They begin with conversations. In other words... Something happens at work or at school or something in the neighborhood or something, and you start having these conversations, and they turn into men, and that ultimately leads to or can lead to an affair. Small things have big consequences. Small things have big consequences. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, in the case of Peter's life, in the scripture in Matthew chapter 26, this small thing that turns into a big thing is a thing called pride. 
Now, remember last week? You remember any of last week's message? You know, and, and it's where Peter said, you know, Peter said these words to Jesus and said, said so Jesus, so, so how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? And remember I said, Peter didn't say when, when I sin against my brother, he naturally assumed he was the good guy and people were going to offend him, but he would never offend anybody. And that was a prideful statement. There's this, there's this tenor of pride that runs through Peter's life. And you know what? It runs in ours. It runs in ours. You've got to remember, you go all the way back to the beginning. The first big deal, you know, in, in, the, in the created universe was when, when Satan said, I will be like the most high. He had pride. I will, I will, I will, I will. So pride goes way back, way back. And it's really something we have to constantly fight in our lives. And, and it can start out really, really small. You know, there's a scripture in, in the Song of Solomon 2.15 that says this. Catch us. The foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. I kind of chuckle whenever I quote the Song of Solomon because I know if you're real deep and you're real theological and you can preach that book, that's great, go ahead. But it's a real racy book in the Bible. That's why you don't hear many sermons from the Song of Solomon. This is the only verse I'll use. And it talks about the little foxes. Y'all haven't read the Song of Solomon, have you? Look it up in the Old Testament and read it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's pretty, it's a beautiful analogy of God's love for the church, but, but wow. But anyway, so, so these little foxes would come and get these grapes. Now, Morgan, if you'll throw that picture up, I want to give you a picture of little foxes. Aren't they cute? Oh, yeah, I know. They're so cute, you know. And, and they're like, I, I typed in on my little computer, pictures of little foxes, and all these adorable, cute pictures showed up. And I didn't do it because I want to keep this rated PG this morning. But what if I'd have found a picture and typed in, instead of typing little pictures of little foxes, I typed in pictures of foxes eating prey. And then you saw them eating uh, a chicken or your dog or your cat, something like that. That would have been so cute, would it? See, the deal is pride, like so many sins, may look harmless and cute. When it's little. But by the time it gets done, it's not so pretty. That's what I want us to see. Over in Proverbs chapter 16 18, I don't have too many extra scriptures today, but this is one of them. It, it says this Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is just one of those little foxes that, that seems to, Dwayne, there's so much more bigger sins in the world. There's lots of big sins. Let's talk about them. The little ones don't matter. And what we don't understand, pride does. Just like the wisest man in the world writes and says, pride goes before destruction. Pride unchecked leads to destruction. A haughty spirit, a prideful spirit leads to a fall. How many marriages have been destroyed? How many homes have been destroyed? How many careers have been ruined? How many relations have been broken because of pride? So it's a big deal. So in Matthew chapter 26, we have this incredible story about our friend Peter. And I promise you we're going to be able to see from God's word and apply this to our lives. The biggest mistake you can make today would be one of the critical masses is that I don't need this sermon. I'm not a prideful person. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. One day, Brent and I were having a discussion, and this was like 14 years ago, way, way long time ago. And he looked at me and said, Dwayne, you are so full of pride. Remember that? I do. And I heard, actually, that day I disagreed with you. I think I said, me full of pride? That's probably very prideful right then. (laughs) 
He was right. I found out in my own life, there's this thing in me, and by the way, just so I'll feel better, in you that wants us to be prideful. So it's a really, really big deal. So in Matthew 26, we start out, Jesus is talking to the guys, and this, listen, some of this like was an aha moment for me. Here's how it goes. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, here's the Bible. Now, the setup is this. It's right after um, Passover, on the night before Jesus dies. They're on their way probably to the garden and on beyond, beyond there. So this is right before Jesus dies. And here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight, Thursday night, all of you will run away because of me. All of you will run away because of me. In other words, what's about to happen to me, and that's going to be his arrest and crucifixion, because of what's about to happen to me, all of you are going to run. All my life. All my life. I want to say, you bunch of cowards. Oh yeah, you walk with him three years. You walk with him three years, you see him grow legs back and open blind eyes and deaf ears are open. And man, the first sign of trouble, all you guys run away. And I never saw something until studying for this message. Here's what he says. Tonight all of you will run away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. There are two things here that really are just hugely important. Now, now first off, let, let me explain one thing. If you have a chain reaction going, if you've reached critical mass and you've got that, that minimum material to sustain a chain reaction, a negative, in this case, a negative chain reaction, the only way to break the train, chain reaction is to pull something out. To pull it out, and that breaks the chain reaction. Well, Jesus gives, y'all write this down. Jesus gives three disruptors throughout this story. I'm going to point them out to you. He gives three disruptors to try to interrupt the chain reaction. And this is the first one. I bet you've never seen it either. Let me read it again. Tonight, all of you will run away because of me, cowards. For it is written... I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Notice it doesn't say they will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. It doesn't even say the enemy will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will run away. What does it say? I will. Who's the I? Yeah, it's God. God. This was a disruptor. Not that he's disrupting the process, but he's trying to keep them from being brokenhearted and discouraged. And he's sitting there saying, you need to understand something. What's about to happen is God's plan. And God himself is about to strike the shepherd. It's not the Roman government. It's not the Roman officials. It's not the church officials. It's not the priest. It's not, it's not the high priest. God himself has set in motion a process that will lead to your redemption. I will strike the shepherd. And connected, the sheep will be scattered. It was part, it was part of God's plan that the sheep were scattered. 
They weren't cowards. It was part of God's plan. You have you ever thought about this? If they had hung with Jesus, they may have hung with Jesus. You know, I'm going to hang with my posse. If they would have hung with Jesus, no, Jesus, we're going to be right here with you, man. There may have been 14 crosses instead of three. And where would the church be? Where would the church be? No, no, it was within God's plan that the sheep were scattered. There may well have been an act of protection involved. He was protecting the future church and having the, the boys scatter instead of hanging with Jesus. So before you whip an incredible guilt trip on yourself sometimes, just think it may be part of God's plan working out. Sometimes when I stand up and preach, it makes no sense to me, and I'm certain it makes no sense to you, but somehow in my heart I have no idea what God wants me to do. I go, but I failed, and God says, you didn't fail. When you follow my plan, you don't fail. Let me say it again. When you follow my plan, you don't fail. Now, this is a quote. It gets even better. It gets even better. I, some of y'all probably knew. This was new to me. I like it when there's new. You know, I, I knew the scripture. Zechariah 13.7 is what Jesus is quoting. Let me read it to you. Here's what Jesus is quoting. Awake, O sword. That's really cool. There's a couple of things going on here. First off, God is speaking to an, to an inanimate object as if it's real. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a literature tool. So, so God is speaking to an, a person, I'm sorry, a sword, a, an instrument of death, like it can hear and speak and respond. It's cool. And, and the word sword there in the Hebrew implies instruments of death. Not just a sword. Instruments of death. There are several examples of that in the Old Testament. So we could easily say today, Awake, O cross. Awake, O cross. An instrument of death. How? Against my shepherd. Remember, Jesus quoted this verse. Against the man who stands next to me. If, if, you're, if you're like a circling your Bible stuff... The words who stands next to me is a, in the Hebrew is one word. It's only used in Leviticus, and it means close relative. Close relative. Like a son. Now, let's add that. Awaken, O sword, awaken, O cross, against my shepherd, against my son, who stands next to me. Does that add new meaning? Does that enrich in it? Years, years, and years, prophetically, God has the prophet write that the cross is going to be brought into the picture and the cross will be used against my son and it, and it clearly identifies the deity of Jesus Christ. How about that? And then he goes on and says... He declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Come against the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Did you know there was a time coming up in Acts when God intentionally allowed the church to be persecuted? Y'all remember that? And what happened? The Bible says the word. And the, and the believers were scattered. Why? 
to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I believe, honestly, I can believe it. I'm within biblical standards. I believe that we can say that those 11 men were separated for their protection because of the future of the church. And, and what does it mean, Dwayne? My hand will turn against the little ones. These men were never going to be the same when this is all done. God allows difficult circumstances in our life to help us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Come on, you know it. You, you, you go to the gym and you exercise for the purpose of strengthening your muscles. And I'm telling you, we don't get strong in God just sitting in rows in a big room listening to some guy talk to us. We get our strength from the Lord when we go out in this world and we are forced to go through difficult times and have faith in the one who loved us and died for us. That's when we get strong. That's when we get strong. So this is just, this is just who, he sends a disruptor. He says, now you've got to understand something. God's, in, God's going on here. God is going to strike the shepherd. And you're going to be scattered. But there's a reason and there's a purpose. I am done calling the boys cowards. Because they were simply following God's plan. All but one. And I don't mean Judas. All but one. You'll see in just a minute. Now there's another disruptor in verse number 32. Because after he says all that, he says... But after I have been resurrected, Jesus speaking to the boys, after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, this is huge news. Again, it's not new news because he said it. Okay? But they don't hear it. For some reason, whenever Jesus talked about this death and resurrection thing, all they could hear was dead. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, just in case I forget to tell you later. You know what Peter's problem is going to be? When Jesus was talking, he wasn't listening. Would you like to know what Peter was talking about and thinking about in his head? I'm not going to be scattered. I'm not going to leave. I won't deny you. The rest of these yahoos, they will, but not me. I'm not going to. What do you mean scattered? I won't be scattered. How do you know that, Dwayne? Look at his history. Look at his history. That's how Peter worked. He was a rock But he had this fallacy of, not me, not me, not me, not me. And that's called pride. Pride. So he gives us disruptor. And the disruptor is, don't be discouraged. I'm going to rise again. It's going to look like the end, but it's not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. And for goodness sake, church, we've got to learn to listen when God's talking. Come on. Guys, you get this. Your wives go, what? Are you listening to me? <laughs> kids, students, you know. You know, I'd look at my kids when they were growing up. Are you listening? My daddy, I used to, daddy'd say, Dwayne, come here. And I wouldn't come right away. And, and he would go, I, he'd go, are you coming? I'm coming. He goes, well, make me know it. <laughs> make me know it. So, so God sends another disruptor, the hope of the resurrection. But they were too busy and they're not hearing it, especially a guy named Peter. So it goes on. Verse 33. Peter told him, pause. Peter told him, pause. how often do we tell God? Yeah. See, that's, what, that's how a lot of our prayer lives are. You see, we don't think God's smart. 
We don't think God's got it together, and so we're going to tell him because he don't know. You know God, you don't know what you're doing, so I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Does this sound familiar? I mean, do you, you understand? Peter is talking to the Word. The Word made flesh, God in the flesh, and Peter says to him, you remember, you remember the guy who a couple weeks ago said, you know, No, Lord, you should not die on the cross. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. Same guy. So here goes Peter. We're going to see that characteristic that so much is ours. Peter told him, Even if everyone runs away because of you, these yahoos that are standing next to me, okay, those, they'll run. I, I know them. They'll run. But, you know, you've already, you've already called me the rock. <laughs> you, you, you've already said that I'm the rock, Jesus, so you know I'm not going to run. In fact, then he says, here's a critical mass statement. Even if everyone runs away because of you, here they are, three words, I will never. That's a critical mass statement. That's the minimum amount of material necessary for you to start a chain reaction in your life that's going to lead to your failure. Because as soon as you think it won't happen to you, you are in deep weeds. I will never. I wrote some down. Um, um, I'm the exception. I know most men can't handle it, but I can. I know most women can't handle it, but I can. Um, I, I definitely can handle it. Um, I've got this. I've got it under control. God, you don't need to worry about me. I've got it under control. Um, I've got rights, you know, God. You know, as a person, I've got rights. I don't need to forgive. I've got this. Those are all critical mass statements. And look at me now, church. When we find ourselves saying things like that, we, are in the, we have the minimum amount of material necessary to start a chain reaction that will bring us down. In a pastor's life, when they say, those deacons can't tell me what to do, the church can't tell me what to do, I'm the pastor here, critical mass statements. When you, a student, when you start saying about your parents, my parents are stupid, they don't know, I'm smarter than they are, critical mass statements. When you're saying... I won't get caught. Critical mass statements. So, so here we are. Here we are. Peter now is going down this road and he's made this critical mass statement. I will never run away. All the rest of them, you can fully expect them. John, James, Bartholomew, Thomas, all those guys, they're going to run away. But I'm the rock. I won't run away. I won't do that. I can handle it. You know, in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you. How many? Everyone. See that? Let me help you there. Everyone means everyone. Okay? I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think highly, more highly of yourself than you ought to think. I've got to read this because it's a little confusing, but I hope you get it. Here you go. Humility. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but think of yourself less, less, less. 
Don't think so much of yourself that you think you can't fall. Don't think, well, I could handle it because you can't. Okay, so go a little further. Verse 34, Jesus speaking. I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now notice, do you, have you, do you see something different there? He's not saying, Peter, you're going to get scattered because that was within God's plan. This is denial. This is something that the other guys are not going to be tempted with. Okay? Peter's about to do something that's going to set him up, another critical mass that's going to set him up for this big failure. All right? Keep your eyes open. Here we go. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here's what Peter says. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, here it is again. You see it? I will never. Critical mass. I will never. He's talking to the Son of God. <laughs> Jesus, you're wrong. How many times do we tell God he's wrong? You're wrong, God. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Peter looks at Jesus, the Son of God, and he says, you're wrong. You're wrong. I, if I have to die with you, Peter said, I will never deny you. And the boys all jumped in then. Well, he's going to say it, you know. I'm going to say it. I mean, I love Jesus. And one hand goes up. And everybody goes, well, if you're going to raise it, then I've got to raise my hand. And all the hands go up. So all the other guys agree. So there's this huge setup. Now, there's two things I want you to write down this morning that you need to remember. Because, again, we're talking about critical mass. And we're talking about in a negative way. We're talking about how a, a small amount of circumstances people needs to be in place. that sets a negative reaction in our lives. There's two things you know about this. First off, left to itself, sin rarely gets smaller but gets bigger. Left to itself, sin rarely gets smaller, it gets bigger. Big consequences come from small things. So left to itself, without confession, without repentance, sin doesn't just get smaller and dwindle away. It usually gets bigger. Secondly, this. Sin is usually more than an... Sin is usually more than an act. It is a process. It is a process. And that's that chain reaction. When we start having this middle material of pride or arrogance or lust, whatever it is, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a process. And James says when that process starts, things die. Things die. So are you ready? Are you ready to see what happens? All right, here we go. We're going to jump forward a little bit on your sermon sheet to Matthew 26, 69. The garden is over, and now Jesus has been arrested, and Peter does something. Peter follows Jesus. Now, Wearsby pointed this out. Warren Wearsby, a great old-time Bible teacher, he points this out. Peter shouldn't have been there. Because what was the plan of God? The sheep will be scattered. And Peter didn't scatter. Peter went to the courtyard to see what was going to happen. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. Someone's out there going, yeah, but he loved Jesus so much. No, yeah, he did. Okay, 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 okay I'm going to give that. Okay, but I'm not sure that's why he's there. He just might be there because I'm going to prove Jesus. I ain't going to leave. I'm going to prove it to Jesus. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. And in so doing, 
he sets himself up for a bigger consequence than the other men endure. The other men may have dealt with the guilt, even though it was in the God's plan, the guilt of scattering. Peter's got the scattering and the denial. And it's there because he shouldn't even have been there. I really believe Peter's going, I'll show Jesus. I will be faithful. Think about that. Chew on that over lunch today. And see what you think. And how often does it occur in our lives? How often, because something seems right, we do it and it leads to bigger consequences, not less consequences? Well, the Bible says now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl, now keep in mind, I love this when preachers do this, you know, a servant girl, 12, 15, 16 years old. This is not some burly Roman soldier who walks up and goes, yeah, I know you know, Jesus. It's a little girl. A little girl. Let's bring class into it. A servant girl. Somebody's bond servant. Shows up, approaches him and says, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. And without like anything, in verse 70, but he denied it in front of everyone. Now, I want you to get a picture. This is not like him and the little girl talking by themselves. There are people all around. And loud and clear, Jesus says, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't like he was, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Loud and clear for everyone to hear. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And at this point, the chain reaction is going full steam ahead. And Peter is clueless. But then something happens. In Mark chapter 14, verse 30, in Mark's account of this story, he tells us a detail that Matthew doesn't record. According to Mark, Jesus says... Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. And if you look at it, the the roaster. Have you all seen roasters before? It's what a chicken looks like after you cook it. The The rooster crows the first time right after this incident. If you look, look at market when you get home. So imagine you're there. Jesus has said before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me. Okay? And right after after this happens, he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. And about that time, what do you think that was? That was a warning. That was a reminder. That was giving Peter the chance to say, i got to get out of here before things get worse. This is God's second disruptor in this story. The first was, I'm going to resurrect. The second one is the first cock crow for Peter. Because Jesus had said, before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me. Cock-a-doodle-doo! And he totally doesn't get it goes right over his head. And so the story then continues. Matthew 26, 71. 
So when he had gone out to the gateway, now he's moved away from the main courtyard and he's moved over here where the gate is. It's a little darker. There's less of a crowd there. Another servant woman, another servant girl, saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, a group of people. Again, he denied it. With an oath, I don't know the man. Now, what does an oath mean? Okay. In Jewish culture, you would bring God into a situation to prove you're telling the truth. In Jewish culture, you would bring God into the situation to prove you're telling the truth. It goes something like this in American culture. God strike me dead if this isn't the truth. Can, light, can God just send lightning to kill me if this isn't the truth? Anybody heard that before? I always say it this way. If I'm lying, I'm dying. So we have been, we have Peter so dramatically now bringing God into the equation and saying, may God strike me. And this, I'm not making this up. If God strikes me, if I know the man, if I'm lying, I don't know him. I don't know him. God strike me if this isn't the truth. Holy moly. How did Peter get here? Have you ever gotten a situation and said, how did I get here? I tell you. I tell you, this chain reaction thing. You know, some of the atomic scientists, when they invented an atomic bomb and they saw it go off, they said, what have we created? And so often in circumstances in our life, we allow this chain reaction to go and we end up going, you know, the wife finds out, the kids find out, you lose your job, your boss finds out, and we find ourselves saying, what have we done? What have we done? It's not over. Verse number 73. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you certainly are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. And by now, I am certain I can say with, with confidence that Peter is now starting to worry for his, his safety. I mean, you know, if, if they did this to Jesus, what are they going to do to me? Because people are gathering around, they're going, you know, by certain, you know, your accent gives you away. You are certainly one of them. Verse 74. He started to curse. Again, let me give you the definition. He's calling down curses on himself if he's lying from heaven. He's calling down curses from heaven if he is lying. He's calling down curses. He begins to swear the oaths. God, do this to me if I'm lying. I do not know the man. Big consequences come from small things. Critical mass. The amount of circumstances, people, or things that must be present to sustain a chain reaction. Peter had more than enough pride to get him in this mess. And he is here in this situation, not because he's a coward, but because of his pride. And immediately, the rooster crows again. And this time, he hears it. And Charlie, this time, 
it's too late. He has failed. The whole deal with critical mass is to let God disrupt, disrupt the process before the ultimate failure. Would you hear me today? It's never too late to disrupt the process. It's not too late. When you're sneaking around your mom and dad students, it's not too late to stop. It's going to cost you. There's going to be some punishment and some consequences, but it's not too late. Stop before we reach the big consequence. Well, in verse 75, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus then, before the rooster crows, and keep in mind Mark said twice, you will deny me three times. And, and all of a sudden he is washed in guilt, um, brokenness, shame. And it's going to take a lot, by the way. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of things that Jesus did to restore him. But he is just overwhelmed with guilt, shame, and brokenness. Why did I do this? And again, keep in mind, it's not the fact that he scattered. It's the, time, it's the fact that he followed when he shouldn't have followed and his pride and arrogance got him in trouble. Your pride and arrogance will get you in trouble too. The Bible says that he went outside and wept bitterly. You need to hear something. That's not bad. Before God can restore us, we've got to be broken. You know, there's, there's a scripture that's recorded in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that's pretty good. It says, for godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, to restoration. Not to be regretted, not to be repented, not to be turned away from. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's not enough. Would you hear me, please? It's not enough to say I'm sorry. Sorry, God. Have you ever, do you find yourself a lot telling God you're sorry? That's a problem. If your prayer life is filled with sorry, 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 there's a really good chance you're not repenting. There's a good chance you're, doing, you're, you're pulling a Bill Clinton. Bill didn't regret, I want to call it Lewiski, whatever her name was. He just sorry he got caught. And a lot of Christians, they're not sorry for their sin. They're just sorry they got caught. What does a broken man look like? He went out and wept bitterly. And Paul says in this Second Corinthians scripture that, that this godly brokenness that we're really broken over our sin, it leads to repentance. And a repentance is the idea, the idea of repentance is not to turn back and do it again. I'm not saying we don't, because we do. But I'm, the idea, the point is, I will not do, by God's grace, I will not do that again. That's what repentance is. And Paul says, this godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to restoration, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world leads to death. And boy, does that lead to discouragement. So many Christians are discouraged today because they keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's because we haven't allowed God to break us so we can be repentant and move forward. So what do you do with all this? 
What do you do with this pride? What do you do with this critical mass? What do you do when you've got the right number of people, circumstances, or, or things in place, and, and, and a chain reaction is starting? How do you either prevent that or stop that? Well, let me give you real quick, about a minute and seven seconds worth. <laughs> James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Here's what James... James is the half-brother of Jesus. Up until Jesus' resurrection, he thought his brother was crazy. Let me say that again. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and up until the resurrection, he thought Jesus was crazy. After the resurrection, he got changed. <laughs> Amen? The resurrection does that to you. You kind of have to believe your brother's the son of God when you watch him die, and he gets up the third day. You just kind of have to believe he's God. Here's the good news. James says, but he gives greater grace. I got good news for you today. God gives grace. When you have the critical mass meltdown, you're not done. God gives you grace. Can I, can I give you my verse again? 37, 23, 24 Psalms. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his path. And even if he fall, he will not be utterly cast down because God picks him up with his hand. His hand. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. When we think we're smarter than God, when we think we're bigger than God, when we think we don't need God, God opposes that. But he gives grace to the humble. When we're willing to come to the Father and say, God, I need you. Can't do this. I need you. When we're willing to be humble, he gives grace. So therefore, in James verse 7, submit to God, yield yourself, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here you go, real quick. Watch for warning signs. How do you resist the devil? Watch for warning signs. When God is saying, watch out, watch out. Clear your, clear your head enough so you can hear God. Quit listening to Satan and self and clear your head and listen to God. God will give you warning signs to prevent the meltdown. Disruptors that will break the chain reaction. Listen to the warning signs. Secondly, set barriers and boundaries. Set barriers and boundaries. If there's a certain sin in your life, you know that's what sets you off, that's what ticks you off, that's what causes you. Set barriers to avoid those circumstances. And the last one is really easy. Learn to run. Learn to run. The best thing Peter could have done after the first denial, and we would have regretted, he would have regretted the first denial. If Peter would have run at that point, this story would have been written differently. If he led after the second one, it would have been differently. But he didn't learn to run. We've got to learn to run. You know, in, in a verse in, in a 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, verse number 14, it says, Therefore, flee from sin. Flee. Learn to run. Learn to run. And not embrace. And not embrace. So some of you here today are in critical mass. Some of you here today have a situation going 
in your life where there are circumstances, people, and things in place, and they are sustaining a negative chain reaction in your life. It may be pride. It may be lust. It may be arrogance. It may be dishonesty. It may be unforgiveness. You name it. But it sets in the process a chain event of negative results. I'm here to tell you that as your pastor, he wants me, he wants you. He wants to give us a disruptor. Because I promise you this, God called us to something much higher than guilt, shame, and brokenness. He called us to victory. And that victory is in and through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm three minutes over time, but I can't stop without this. If you're here today, and this stuff is all new to you, you're here today because somebody promised you lunch. Okay? If you're here today, and when I talked about Jesus dying on the cross and God's plan, you said, never heard that before. I thought you got to heaven by going to church. I thought you got to heaven by being good. I thought good people went to heaven and bad people went to hell. That's what I've always been taught. No. It's grace. None of us are good enough. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of God's standard. Every one of us. We have. We get to heaven by believing in what Jesus Christ did, turning from our sin and following him by faith and by grace. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and there's nothing more we'd like to do today than share that truth with you. It is so liberating to come and know Jesus Christ. So this is our decision time. You may want how to, how do I join this place? You know, how do I become a member of the, of the fellowship? Um, can, I, can I be baptized? You know, what do I need to do to be baptized? We'll talk about that. Um, you know, I need somebody to pray with me. That's what this altar is for. So this is our decision time. And if you've got, if you've got critical mass going on, you might want to come and ask some folks to pray with you, with you about that. All right, so let's pray. Well, God, I sure hope this made sense today. Father, I, I honestly can tell these folks I want to pray it before them so they'll know my heart. You really showed me some truth today that I need to hear. But I don't want to be just me. Father, I want to be us today. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you've taken my words and made them clear to hearts on many different levels. And that we will accept and understand and own the truth that we had heard today. I do thank you, Father, for the, the events that we celebrate this week. Things people call the Holy Week. Thursday night, Maudie Thursday, and Good Friday, and the three days in the tomb and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you and celebrate all of that today. And thank you that you want to work in our lives today. You're not a history God. You're a present day God. We thank you for that. So Holy Spirit, please speak to hearts and we'll give you all the honor, glory, and praise for it. And Jesus, I ask this in your name.